Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Donald the Third. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth McAlpin to James the Sixth. We've not been doing the Scots for a while, actually. It's been a bit of a bit of a gap. Yeah. Because we've uh, just done our very first special episode. Um, yeah. Battle of Waterloo. Now, I loved that. It was a lot of fun. We'll, uh, we'll come back to it a little bit later. Okay. We may have a little preview, perhaps. Oh, People lucky devils. A little old listen. But we're back now uh, with the Scots. Now, when... Uh, we started just before recording. Ali was saying to me, "So, what is it, Malcolm the Third this week?" <laughs> it's Malcolm the Third. <laughs> I knew it. He sounded familiar. So uh, it's probably good if we have a little bit of backgroundy stuff to uh, kick us off. And Malcolm the Third is probably all we need to do for that backgroundy right. stuff. So Malcolm the Third had uh, a very pivotal reign. This is sort of mid to late eleventh century in mm. Scotland, and he really takes the country from this sort of obscurity of the dynastic wars where he had that alternating succession, not very much evidence, it was all a bit murky. Yeah. And he brings it much more into the medieval era. It's much more of a recognisable Scotland. Particularly because he married Saint Margaret, um who was the sister of the last Anglo Saxon prince, uh, Edgar the Etheling. She was fantastic. Mm. Like she she felt like a bit like a um Eleanor of Aquitaine, sort of Scottish version. Yeah, sort of a proper doing stuff yeah. queen. And the first queen that we've really mentioned. Yes, very much so. The first one we actually know anything about. There are a couple where we maybe have a name, but nothing mm. else. But Margaret, we really did know stuff about her. She brings um, a lot of English stuff to the court, a bit more culture, and also drawing Scotland a bit more into English affairs. Oh, sounds dangerous. Because this is the period of 1066. Mm. Um, so the Normans have come over conquered Anglo-Saxon England, so it's now Normans in charge in England, and Malcolm has a rivalry established with the Normans in that borderland between southern Scotland and northern England. Once Malcolm started annoying them by <laughs> sort of invading kind of northeast yeah. um, and sort of Durham area, mm. William did go up initially, and then later William Rufus, the next Norman king, um, both of whom have these sort of border conflicts with with Malcolm yeah. III, have these treaties where Malcolm has to agree to go back home again and stop being such a pain. <laughs> and he was killed, Malcolm III was killed in 1093 uh, in an ambush at Annick. So it's not only uh, Malcolm III that dies, it's also his son, Edward. Oh no, not again. And then about a week after that, from grief, also his queen, Margaret. Oh, no. So, after being king for years and years and years, suddenly we lose the king, we lose his heir, and we lose his queen as well. She, I get the feeling she could have quite easily steadied the ship there. Mm. So, the ship is very much rocking at this yeah. point. Who's going to grab the tiller? Well, exactly. Spoiler alert. Might be called Donald. So, Donald III is the man who takes the tiller. <laughs> and he is the son of Duncan I... And possibly a woman called Southern. So he is the younger brother of Malcolm III. Is it, uh, that's Donald of who was involved in the whole Macbeth saga. Duncan. <laughs> Duncan? Yeah. <laughs> who was involved in the whole Macbeth saga. Yeah, Duncan who was killed by Macbeth in 1040. Mm. This is his second son. 
So inadvertently, mm. we've gone back to that brother thing. We've gone all the way back to the brothers. So Malcolm III had lots of children, mm. but it's his brother, Donald, who actually becomes king. Um, Donald's probably born sometime between 1033, 1040. So he's at probably at least 60 when he becomes king oh, right. in 1093. So he's not exactly mm. a young man. No. But is that reflected in his appearance? Well, oh yes, we don't know... From contemporary portraits or descriptions, what Donald Third looked like, but of course we have the Heritage Playing Card Limited playing cards to give us their artistic uh, depiction of Donald Third. So, Ali, can you tell us what does Donald the Third look like on the card? Graham always does this little thing where long-term listeners will know covers the card, so I have no idea who we're talking about until oh, bang, bang, he's dead. (laughs) End of episode. Uh, well, he's definitely old, isn't he? Mm. Um, statistics fans will like to know that he's a three of spades. The three of spades. Um, and he's called Donald Ban. Mm. Why on earth is he called Donald Ban? Uh, so Donald Ban, or sort of Donald Bain, it's sort of sometimes written. So that means either Donald the Fair or Donald the White. Well, he's certainly white. Mm. Yeah. Um, com- totally grey. Looks very sort of regal and noble, though. Mm. Uh, flowing blue robe. Um, through a uh, cloak, rather, mm-hmm. the navy stocking, and arms crossed, a bit defensive, maybe. Mm. Mm, wise. That's the overall word nice, I'm going nice for. Nice beard on him. Lovely beard. Red yeah. tunic. Well, as you said, he's the son of Duncan I, um, who was killed by Macbeth in 1040, which uh, does seem like quite a long way back for us to be. Uh. See, well, it's, I mean, literally months ago for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and when. Duncan was killed, his sons, Malcolm III and Donald III, as they later became, went into exile. Now, the traditional tale of what happens is, of course, told to us in Shakespeare. Right. Oh, yeah, he's still so a little pop back. Um, there's a point after Duncan's died where they're alone. The brothers are alone and they're discussing what they're going to do. Uh, so Malcolm says, what will you do? Let's not consort with them. To show an unfelt sorrow is an office which the false man does easy. I'll to England. So he's saying he's not at all upset, I'll just leg it. Um, no, he's saying we're not sure who can we trust here. Somebody's killed our father, can we trust them? Are we safe? Mm. Let's hop it, I'll Good go idea. to England. Donald replies, to Ireland I, our separated fortune shall keep us both the safer. Where we are, there's daggers in men's smiles. The near in blood, the nearer bloody. Well, I told you about this whole wisdom thing, he's mm. got his spot on there. So we've got Malcolm going off to England, and we've got Donald going off to Ireland. Now, in reality, Donald was at most seven when this happened, Oh, if not even younger. So I don't think that they had this very sort of mature and... No, he probably said, I want to go to Legoland. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I imagine. Somebody scooped him up and took him. Possibly it was to Ireland. Um, Alternatively, um, more historians seem to believe that it was in the sort of Western Isles, the Hebrides, just off Scotland. So this is kind of Norse Gaelic territory. Right, so that's still different hands. Is that... But yeah. still separate from Malcolm. And unfortunately, we don't have any idea what happened to Donald for the next 53 years. <laughs> we don't know what he did in Ireland, in the Hebrides, wherever he went. We don't know what he did. We don't know what he got up to. Can't that guy who writes the Crackers Chronicle just make something up for us? But when Malcolm III dies in 1093, mm. the succession is somewhat uncertain. So... Some people have suggested, Simeon of Durham, who's a contemporary chronicler, that his son Edward was the designated heir. So when Edward 
also died at Anik, as well as ah, his father, yes. yeah, yeah. that means that the designated heir is dead, and you've then got this question mark over, well, who's it actually going to be? Mm. Now, Donald, by tradition has quite a strong claim because traditionally it used to go from brother to brother before it goes to the next generation. Mm. So under the old Scottish Gaelic system, Donald can say, well, I'm, I'm clearly the next in line. It is a good point, though. Mm. And he's, he's the right generation, yeah. isn't he? However, it's almost certain that Malcolm didn't have him in mind. Oh. And he was probably thinking much more primogeniture, i.e. handing it on to his own children. Yeah. But, again, it's not entirely clear who should be next, because Malcolm had two wives, so the eldest son, by his first wife, was a chap called Duncan. That's confusing. But he then also had had this Edward that had died with Margaret. Yeah. There's then an Edmund, an Ethelred, who seems to have gone off and become a monk, Edgar, Alexander, and David. Oh, he's not wanting for boys, is he? This is going to make it quite a bloody episode. So realistically, we've got Duncan, Edmund, Edgar, Alexander and David. We've got five sons of Malcolm III. All from uh, Margaret? Four from Margaret and one from Ingeborg, his first wife. Uh, and But who is considered the most legitimate, Margaret or Ingeborg? Well, this is uh, a point of debate, which we'll maybe come to uh, in a future episode. But the point for Donald mm. is that he's got this claim based on the alternating succession and that he's the brother. But there are five sons of Malcolm the Third. Yeah, I definitely think it should should be one of his sons, shouldn't mm. it? Well, I mean, they clearly do. Yeah, but the problem is that the main one that people probably would have been ready to get behind has is died, dead, yeah. and there's all this chaos going on. And the oldest one is from the first marriage. Yes. Okay. And he, obviously, but he isn't in Scotland. He's in England because he's been a hostage in England. Oh right. Because of a deal that Malcolm had to do with William the Conqueror. Okay, to ensure that he behaved, he took a son. Exactly. So we've got Duncan, who's the eldest son, held hostage in... Well, he's just in England. Yeah. Then we've got Edmund, Edgar, Alexander and David in Edinburgh. Yeah. Where their mother has just died. Yeah. And then we've got Donald. Mm. And Donald comes uh, storming into this power vacuum, which is essentially what we've got... And at this point, John of Forden cares what he does. Hey. And this is what John of Forden says. Donald the Red, or Donald Bane, the king's brother, having heard of Margaret's death, invaded the kingdom at the head of a numerous band, and in hostile wise besieged the aforesaid castle, Edinburgh, where he knew the king's rightful and lawful heirs were. So he's coming with a little army. Yeah. Not to go in and steal the crown or the crown jewels. I mean, that's what he wants, but mm. he's he's actually besieging the other claimants first. Is that his way to do it? Well, I mean, I guess that is, that's where the centre of power is, and they're all cooped okay. up in the castle. And But they themselves are, I imagine, acting out the Hunger Games inside <laughs> between them. <laughs> they seem to get on okay at this point. Um, what happens is that apparently he doesn't realise there's an exit that Donald isn't aware of. Always. And a special saintly mist that comes down <laughs> when they're taking Margaret's body away for burial. Yeah. So the sons are able to slip away unseen. Mm. So Donald becomes king, but he hasn't managed to do anything about all of these sons. So the sons sort of give it up. They just creep out fight another day. Well, I mean, realistically, he's obviously successfully invaded. Mm. So it's not just that he's turned up unannounced and <laughs> said, oh, yeah. right, come yeah. out, I'm going to be king. Yeah. He's come with an army. Yeah. So apparently it's their uncle, Edgar the Etheling, the last Anglo-Saxon prince, who's up there with them. And apparently he 
effectively rescues them and takes them down south to be protected in England. Why do we know that name? Edgar the Atheling. Yeah. Uh, Because he was the one who, in 1066, was the last proper Anglo-Saxon of the royal dynasty. Yeah, but he was very, very young. his sister. Yeah, he was too young then, but it's his sister, is Margaret, that married Malcolm III. Right. So he's he's the uncle of all of these sons. So he takes them down to England for safekeeping, because obviously in Scotland there's been an invasion, they're no longer safe. Mm. So he gets them out. Oh, right. Okay, so when we mentioned him last time, because he was too young, and all the focus obviously is 1066, William the Conqueror, I just thought that that guy was too insignificant to worry about, would never play a part. No, he's he's always very exciting life with good old Edgar. So, Donald III is in Edinburgh, he is now King of Scotland, and all of Malcolm III's sons, by both of his wives, have gone down into England to be looked after. Mm. So, Donald is king. Now, you were asking about, you know, why they're not sort of fighting back or doing something about it. The suggestion is that there's effectively a Gaelic reaction against them and against Margaret. Oh, because she, yes, she was trying to really Scottify mm. everything. What's the word there? Scot- Anglicise. Ang- Anglicise. Yes, the opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, uh, which is some of the traditions we recognise today, was that right? Well, yeah, so she brings a lot of English... Not necessarily lots and lots of English people, but prominent English people come to court. She tries to, you know, in terms of cultural terms, she brings some of those customs into the church, she was said as well, to yeah. got some of the more sort of continental practices on board. She never actually learned Scottish. Oh, yes, she's a George. Mm. Um, so it's a suggestion that actually there are probably quite a lot of prominent Scottish nobles, of whatever we call them at the mm. time, Mormons, who maybe actually didn't like this. And when Malcolm dies and Margaret dies, they think, ah, we've got a chance to yeah. go back to how it was before. Yeah. Whereas if it's all Margaret's sons that she's had a big influence on, they've been brought up in a certain yeah. way. And they think, well, Donald, he's been cooped up in the Hebrides for 50 years. He's probably pretty Scottish. Okay, so this is so it might be that he had more public backing. Yeah, so the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle in England claimed that he, Donald was chosen by the Scots and that the English were then expelled. So, in effect, the Scottish sons, the Mal- uh, no, Malcolm's sons, would actually maybe be persona non grata at this new, more Scottish court. Right. Sitting pretty, then. Exactly. So we remember that John of Fordham, when we did the Macbeth episode, we said that he was always trying to stress this one legitimate continuous line. Yeah. Because they were trying to stress that in the time of Edward I and Edward III that there was a legitimate Scottish kingship. Mm. So anyone that's not part of that line, John Afforden says, oh, traitor, 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 traitor. Brilliant. Um, so Donald, for him, represents an interruption and therefore is a terrible, terrible person. But at the time, they may actually, people in Scotland thought, ah, good, okay. this is what we want. Yeah. So, yep. Donald III is king. Yes. But not everybody is happy about it. Hmm. In particular, William Rufus. Old crazy shoes. He's pointing his shoes and he doesn't like what the shoes see. Why not? Well, so William Rufus um, took over as king in 1087 in England after the death of William the Conqueror. And he's been looking to really challenge Malcolm III at those borders. So we're looking at sort of Carlisle and Durham, so the northwest, northeast of England. Yeah. So for him, the idea of another aggressive Scottish king is the last thing he needs, because he's still going to be doing this badgering Mm. away. Whereas, he's got 
Duncan, who's been at the English court as a child since 1072, mm. and is practically English, and you've got Edgar the Etheling as the uncle, and Edgar's kind of been at the English court yeah. as well. So actually, the sons of Malcolm and Margaret, and indeed just all the sons of Malcolm, are much more amenable, in a way, to William yeah. Rufus, because they're a little bit closer to yeah, that makes culturally. A lot of sense. Yeah, Whereas cult- Donald's another outsider. Yeah, and have got some English blood in them through Margaret. Margaret, yeah. Right. Okay, so he's tr- he's definitely going to be push push one of the five. Exactly, and the one that he's going to push is Duncan, who is the oldest. Yeah, so this is Malcolm's eldest son, mm. but by his first marriage. So he's right. not the son of Margaret, but he is Malcolm's eldest son. So he's been a hostage in England from 1072 to 1087. He was released in 1087, but he just chose to stay in England and stay in Normandy. Oh, right. So he's been there for 15 years, because although he's not the son of the English mother, mm. he is anglicised by having a mm. luxury stay. Or Anglo-Normanised, I suppose yeah. it would be. Yeah. So when we say as a hostage, we don't mean that he's been sort of chained in a dungeon. We just mean that he's had to stay in England. But he's been brought up effectively as a Norman knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's his culture. That's his upbringing. Um, so he stays in England and also spends time in Normandy, probably makes a bit of a name for himself. He probably went on some campaigns, maybe, that they would have had right. um, in that area. So he's very much happy at home, and it's notable that actually in 1087, when he's released, when William Rufus becomes king, he doesn't go back to Scotland, he stays in England. I can imagine that conversation. Hollywood would really make a heart-tugging moment <laughs> yeah. about that, wouldn't they? What have I got to go home for? I don't know why it's American. Yeah. Well, because it's Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. From Rufus's perspective, then, this is ideal, because he's got the eldest son of the previous Scottish king, who is, in all respects, basically a Norman now, mm. and who will absolutely acknowledge him as superior, Yeah, which is what Donald and Malcolm wouldn't have done. So, William Rufus acknowledges Duncan as King of Scotland. Oh, dear. Hmm. So, presumably, Donald now throws loads of assassins over the border. (laughs) Well, what happens is that um, Rufus actually is a little bit busy doing other stuff. Maybe Mm. some mood lighting and uh, (laughs) unmentionable. So, he isn't able to actually give Duncan a massive army. But what Duncan does is raises an army basically from Northumbria. He marries the Earl of Northumbria's daughter and... All that right. kind of helps him. So he gets some support there, a bit of support from England, invades in 1094, and Donald is sent packing. Right. I, I mean, presumably we definitely covered this during William Rufus's uh, episode. Well, probably it probably wasn't worth, As, from his perspective, it wasn't a massive part of what he was okay. doing when he's thinking about all this other stuff. Mm. So he probably didn't. But nevertheless, Donald is defeated and uh, retreats off to the Highlands. So that's it. That is it for Donald III. Oh, it's just getting going. But uh, Duncan doesn't find it very easy. No. When he becomes king, because he's this foreigner, in effect, and mm. Dun- and Donald had been chosen because he was Scottish. Yeah. When Duncan comes along with this mass of a foreign army, people don't really like it. So there's a bit of an uprising, and then he's only really able to quell it by promising to send his foreign troops back to England. Oh, that sounds like an Awful idea, isn't it? Yeah, there's a bit of a problem, because then, um, 12th of uh, November, Duncan is uh, ambushed and killed, and Donald comes back oh, right. to be king. Oy, okay. Now, at this point, Ali, I'm going to absolutely blow your mind. God, God. Tell me what you see 
on another card. Oh my word, this is a Rex Factor first, ladies and gentlemen. We've got two people on a card. We've got Donald the Third and Edmund. So is this a, have we got a triple bill in one episode here? Uh, well, I mean, we have technically, I suppose we've done Donald the Third, then there was Duncan the Second, we've just done. <laughs> and Donald the Third again, and now this chap. Yeah, so, well, so how's, how's Donald the Third looking? Is it the same he's, guy? He's Is he older. consistent? No, he's looking significantly more frail. Mm. He's got a stick, and uh, he's, there's another person standing behind him who looks much younger, stronger, and, if I'm honest, sinister. Mm. Mm. Um, pulling the strings there, I reckon. Mm. So, this Edmund, you may recall, this is the next eldest son of Malcolm III and right. Margaret. Okay. So, Duncan's been killed. Duncan II has been killed. So, we've now got remaining Edmund, Edgar, Alexander and David. I think they all going to just go through this process by <laughs> rotating pencil and we left with Duncan again, Donald again. So, clearly, what must have happened here is that Donald's old... Yep. He doesn't have any sons. No. And he's got all these other sons of Malcolm to deal with. If he wants to maintain his place on the throne, he needs to make a deal. Ah. Uh. And Edmund, obviously, is uh, conniving enough that he's going to uh, abandon his other brothers, mm. kill Duncan II. Oh, is it, so it's him that did it? Well, he certainly inv- must be involved. Yeah. And he makes a deal. So what we think they agree is that there's some kind of sharing of the kingdom. Probably rather than a joint rule, it would have been that Donald would have remained king but named Edmund as his heir. Mm. And he may have given Edmund uh, like Strathclyde or something to rule, like as a appanage, or appanage, however you pronounce it. Right. So his own little territory to rule. But basically when Donald dies, Edmund will inherit the throne. But they're a team to see off, obviously, any other threat. We've seen something similar in the English episode, haven't we? Where we had someone like uh, Stephen mm. promising to have Henry after he dies, and yeah. sort of you can you can sort of see the power shifting mm. while Stephen's alive, but never did they appear on the same card. No, and the difference with Stephen and Henry II is that Stephen was sort of acknowledging the son of his rival and effectively mm. saying, "Okay, the war needs to end at some point." And realistically, I'm not going to be able to carry on. So when I die, you become king, and then that's the end of it. Mm. Whereas here, um, Donald is basically at war with all of Malcolm's sons, and he's just made a deal with one of them and says, all right, if you can be king next, then Mm. we'll put a stop to this. And the war is going to continue, really. He needs a deal to help him, Mm. right, rather than put an end to it. Yeah. So we've got Donald III, and we've got Edmund. Yeah. But... Other people aren't going to be happy about this. Edmund's younger brothers aren't going to be particularly happy that they've been sold out and he's made a pact with their evil uncle. Mm. And William Rufus isn't going to be very happy that he just sent his man up to deal with this problem and now he's got two of the awkward so-and-sos in place. So, the fourth son of Malcolm III is now acknowledged as king by William Rufus. So, William Rufus says, Edgar, you are the new man. You're the new king. Right. He's still in England at this point, but yeah. as far as Rufus is concerned, it's Edgar's job. Um, but, again, Rufus has got all these um, rebellions going on. He's got to deal with things in Normandy, deal with things in England, so he's not able to actually give Edgar an army to go and deal with it. Mm. But as far as Rufus is concerned, Edgar's the Scottish king. Okay. Now, in 1095, um, 
they do have to fight together, but it's not in Scotland, it's actually in Northumbria, where Robert de Mowbray, the Earl of Northumbria, led a local rebellion against William Rufus. So Rufus goes up there, Edgar goes up there, um, they help to suppress it. There's a suggestion that Donald and Edmund may have sent some assistance across the border to help the rebellious Earl, Yeah, because obviously it's in their interest to support him, but it doesn't work. Um, And it's at this point that Edgar seems to have claimed um, to be ruling the territory of Lothian, so this is sort of very much the southern part of Scotland. And what's more, William Rufus probably does some kind of ceremony to acknowledge him as king. Edgar releases charters declaring himself as king, so it's a much more positive statement of intent now that he really yeah. means business. So in 1097, Rufus has dealt with some of his things. He's got some men to spare. So he gives an army to Edgar the Etheling. Okay. This is the uncle of Edgar, the Saxon chap. So he gives him an army and says, right, you take little Edgar, little Scottish Edgar. Yeah. Pop up to see Donald and Edmund, kick them out and make little Scottish Edgar king. Now, so this is the guy that I was saying was insignificant in the 1066. Yes. He's being given an army. To invade Scotland. Instead of the other Edgar. Yes. Right. Because the other Edgars are too young, too inexperienced. Uh yeah, he's, I mean, he probably would have been of an age where he maybe could have certainly been involved, but I guess yeah. Edgar the Etheling probably has been involved in campaigns now. He must be 40-odd um, or maybe okay. 50 at this point, so he's much more of an experienced commander to actually lead this kind of campaign. I don't know why I find this guy so fascinating. I suppose it was because I thought that he'd lost his little chance in history in 1066. Yeah. But actually, instead of challenging William... He's getting involved. He's playing yes. along. He's got a, a a whole different history opened up in front yeah. of him. It's brilliant. <laughs> so Edgar the Etheling, the last Saxon prince, is now leading this Norman army to invade Scotland to put... A Norman on the throne. Well, well a, yeah. you know, a Norman <laughs> favoured Scot yeah. on the throne. So he invades and he is successful. Oh, okay. So Donald and Edmund are overthrown and Scottish Edgar becomes king of Scotland in 1097. Does he kill them or is that, are they going to come back? Well, this is what William of Malmesbury says about Edmund. Mm. Being taken and kept in fetters for ever, he sincerely repented, and when at death's door, he bade them bury him in his chains, confessing that he was worthily punished for the crime of fratricide. Edgar said that. Edmund. Edmund said that. So he, what actually happens to him, he's probably tonsured, which is when you sort of cut the hair on the mm. scalp like a monk, and then you sent to a Cluniac monastery at Montague in Somerset. So Edmund becomes a monk for the rest of his life in England. Right, and Donald is now surely at an age where... Well, uh, Donald is imprisoned by Edgar. Oh, okay. Um, And while Edgar's in England in 1099, it seems that Donald does a little bit of intriguing (laughs) and a little bit of plotting to try and come back. Yeah. And this is what happens according to John of Forden. Donald himself indeed was by Edgar taken prisoner blinded and doomed to perpetual imprisonment what so edgar's had enough now apparently donald tries to have another rebellion edgar doesn't like it comes back has donald the third blinded oh this is after it failed after it fails has him blinded and it's thought that he died not long afterwards unsurprisingly (laughs) the blinding um probably at a place called rescoby in uh, angus this is a bit gross so um cover the ears of youngsters Mm-hmm. How do they blind people? Is it 
a poker, like a fiery poker, just to burn the eye, or is it a slashy method? Or a knife or a... Write in if you know, and I don't want to know how you know. But, yeah. um... Or to quote the late uh, Alan Rickman. <laughs> oh, at least I didn't use a spoon. <laughs> it's my favourite line of his. So, anyway, all that stuff's been going on. It's all been a bit chaotic and up and down, but the uh, the essence is that Donald became king in 1093, yeah. got kicked off in 1094, came back at the end of 1094, got kicked off again in 1097, was imprisoned, and then in 1099 was blinded and died. Oh, wow, that first period was just a year. Yeah, just a year. Okay. Just a year. But he is now dead, and Edgar is king. Right. So, that's uh, that's his life and reign. Mm, now what? it's time for us to uh, to review him. Battleliness. Well, we've got it's one of these funny ones. We do technically have some positives, do we? Well, in 1093, despite having been away for 50 years and being, you know, in advanced uh, age and facing five sons of the previous king, yeah, Donald III uh, wins the throne. Yeah, but um, that's true. But it, it wasn't so. The when he arrived at Edinburgh. Mm. The, uh, was it sort of implied that there was an actual siege, or did you just turn up and they sort of... It's tricky. The thing, we don't really have a fully reliable account to exactly say how it happens, mm. and John of Forden is fanciful yeah. <laughs> at all times, and probably Forden's story is essentially used just to say how saintly Margaret was, because there's this miraculous mist that descends that allows them yeah. all to escape. Um so there's a suggestion that there's a siege. It may have been that actually there was an actual proper military campaign. Mm-hmm and that he had an army. Some have suggested that he may have struck a deal with the King of Norway at this period, because the Western Isles are kind of under Norse control, mm. so maybe they make a, a deal so that he gets a bit of support to take Scotland and he'll allow the the Vikings to have okay. some free reign over there. So he must have had some form of military venture. He couldn't have just turned up and yeah, that's scared sort of, all yeah. these sons away. Yeah. Um, but also aiding him there was this popular... Potential popular support because he was more Scottish. Yes. So um, potentially maybe there's a bit of an actual uprising yeah. maybe against um, Margaret's sons and mm. maybe he was able to swoop in on that and maybe didn't have to do too much actual campaigning. Yeah. And then, of course, in 1094, he becomes back. He comes back to be king a second time. Was there any fighty there or was that? Well, again, I mean, he's, Duncan does have to get killed off and obviously Duncan had made that slightly... Um, oh, flawed decision to send his army away. <laughs> um, so again, maybe there wasn't a massive battle and a massive campaign, but you know, nevertheless, he's shown showing gumption here, Donald III. He's in his sixties and he's just usurped the throne twice. Yeah, true. In a year. Yeah, but I wish we had some detail. I wish mm. John was a bit better. Yeah, actually, John. I don't. I like his. <laughs> he's pretty, pretty good. The downside, of course, is that. Uh, uh, a mirror image really of all of that because initially he is overthrown in 1094 oh very true yeah <laughs> now it's not clear if he was defeated in battle but we do know that Duncan came up with an army Duncan II came up with an army yeah so either he was defeated in battle or he saw oh that's a very big army I better mm. head out of town until somebody can sneakily do a bit of stabby stabby and then I'll come back I suppose it implies the fact that uh, they came up with an army mm. implies that it was they were expecting to face one yeah Needed a certain amount of force. And then, of course, in 1097, he's defeated again mm. by Edgar the Etheling and little Scottish Edgar. Yeah. And again, we don't know if they fought a battle or if he was just overthrown in a coup, but it's, pr- it's probable that there was some kind of military right. encounter, but obviously not an epic 
battle that was worth writing down. And indeed, he gets captured. He doesn't get killed. So, yeah, it's just weird. How they Some just kind say, of skirmish. Yeah, that there's no detail there. It's like he's in. No, he's out. No, he's in. No, he's out. And yeah. he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> How? How? Um, so, I mean, it's real flawed. He wins the throne twice, but he only actually gets rid of one of the five sons. I yeah. suppose you, well, I suppose you could say that he makes a deal with another one. So, I suppose, that, yeah. but there were still three that he hadn't managed to yeah. deal with. It was that initial besieging of Edinburgh. If that is what happened, yeah, he really needed to take them all out there and then. True. Um, but to be fair to him, the odds were stacked against him, given that the much more powerful William Rufus in England was intent on having his own man in Scotland. He should have tried to cut a deal with Rufus. Mm. But that was just what, not happening. There's no need for Rufus to do it, though, I suppose, because he's got so many sons to play with. Yeah. It's like, oh, that one just got killed. Well, yeah. I'll send him the next one. one. The yeah. So he just gets to stay in England and Normandy. He doesn't actually go himself. He just sends off these yeah. Scottish underlings to go and yeah. win the throne, and they acknowledge him as being a sort of liege lord. Yeah. So it's, it's easier for Rufus just to keep throwing men at it. But it's it hard works. for Donald, though. But it's hard for Donald, yeah. because realistically... Five to one. Yeah. Mm. So we've got a few positives, but arguably they're immediately... <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> they, do, they the cancel each other out for me. Mm. Every time that he's taken the throne, he's had it taken from him. Yeah. And we don't know the detail that's implied. Mm. Surely there must have been something, but we just don't know the detail. It all cancels itself out. Mm. Um, he sent a few little troops over to Newcastle. Maybe he might have done one. Mm. I mean, I'm going to give him a two. I think because I mean, it's there aren't many monarchs that manage to uh, win the throne twice. Yeah, albeit there also aren't many that manage to lose it twice. But that's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, he's true. shown a certain amount of initiative there. So I'll give him one for each capture of the throne. Okay. He's setting records all over the place. Yeah. They're just not ones that he'd like. <laughs> so that's a three for battliness. Scandal. Oh, we definitely got something here. He's clearly a man that likes a bit of a plot. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, his first card doesn't show that. His first card implies more wisdom. The second is definitely plotting. Mm, he's definitely up to mischief. So, I mean, in 1093, he can't have just turned up and announced and become king. Even if he had a bit of an army, he must surely have had some contacts at court. He must have had a plan yeah. about what to do. He must have been thinking about it. Mm. He couldn't have just, you know, run from the Hebrides to Edinburgh. Yeah, and just turned and up, got off the train at Edinburgh Waverley. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> said, hello, oh. So, yeah, clearly we must assume there's a certain amount of plotting going on there. Then in 1094, he has Duncan II removed. Yes. And does this deal with Edmund, so he manages to steal away one of the sons. That's the most scandalous bit for me. Mm. And then apparently he was still plotting in 1099, which led to him being blinded. Yeah. When he was in prison by Edgar. So even yeah. then, he's still... He was plotty enough to deserve a good blinding. Yeah, and he was pushing 70 at this point, and he's still <laughs> he was determined to, uh, yeah. to keep doing things. Interestingly, um, in the Roman Polanski's version of Macbeth in 1971 which is quite a stark and sort of bleak uh, interpretation, I think. There's a bit of a change from the play, and the ending of Polanski's film shows Donald Bain going to visit the witches. What? Why? How could he change Shakespeare's one and still call it Macbeth? Well, it's just a little change there at the end. I, there are probably other 
differences yeah. as well. But the interesting thing is see, that's obviously the idea of the evil continuing this cycle because Donald goes on to usurp the sons of yeah. Malcolm who defeats wow. Beth. That's great. So there's a little bit of that sort of cunning yeah. evilness in there. Um, and of course, it's, with Duncan II, it's not just that he's overthrown, but he's murdered. Yeah. And the suggestion is that this is um, an assassination, an arranged killing. Uh, of, of Donald. Of Duncan II. Dun- so um, there's a chap called uh, Mal Pitta, who's the mormon of Merns, and he's said to have killed Duncan on the orders of Donald and Edmund. Oh, so that was it was an assassination rather than a battle. I thought it might have been a battle. There might have been some battleiness going on as well, but mm. certainly Duncan does appear to be assassinated. And indeed, William of Malmesbury, uh, commenting on Edmund, says, Of the sons of the king and Margaret, Edmund was the only one who fell away from goodness. Partaking of his uncle Donald's wickedness, he was privy to his brother Duncan's death, having forsooth bargained with his uncle for half the kingdom. Mm. Um... Yeah, it's good scandal. Hmm. It's quite juicy. We haven't had any real plottiness for a while. And so good plots there. He murders his nephew. You know. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's a good one. Hello, Richard III. Yeah. Or not. Um, uh, it's quite just quite hard to get hold of. Mm. Um, it, there's no... There's no definites. There's no, there's no technique that we can go, oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. We didn't know that it was a bit untrustworthy. Uh I'll give him a two there. I mean, yeah. I just... Uh, it's a bit... It's a bit... Yeah, it's hard to get a hold it's of. It's a bit vague. A bit vague, yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm going to give him a three. Um, I think he's... I think I think he's he's a... Mm. a no, actually, I know, I'll give a three and a half. I think he's a he's a slippery... <laughs> slippery zone. I'm so a bit more Donald. down on him than you are, I think. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not sure that I'm entirely, uh, you know... Yeah. Singing his praises here, but he's there's there's you know there's plotting going on here. We don't know very much about him, but pretty much everything we know is that he's being a bit slippery. True, yeah. you know he's plotting, he's overthrowing, he's killing his nephew, he's making shady deals with another one. Mm. He might have volunteered at the local Oxfam shop when it was the first fifty years of his <laughs> yeah. life up in the Hebrides. <laughs> yeah. for, but this bit definitely sneaky. So what were you giving him again? I was giving him a two. So that's a five and a half for scandal. Subjectivity. The only thing I could really think of in his favour for subjectivity is this idea of this Gaelic reaction, which suggests that he is Mm. sort of almost by popular acclaim king. He's actually the one that people want. The fact that he's chosen in 1093 and that he's able to come back despite a foreign invasion in 1094... Yeah, shows enough support. Shows enough support... Um, and you could even argue this is something of a last hurrah for this concept of a kind of a Gaelic Scotland. Because once Edgar and his brothers and descendants come in, it's very much the sort of Anglo-Norman influence yeah. that comes into the elite at the Scottish court. Okay. But um, the... I mean, with that, is that a bit like the um, his overthrow, his overthrow and then um, coming back, that there must be a a faction of the community that everyone loved Margaret so there's a lot of people that would have liked to see that carry on maybe yeah I mean the problem is that we don't really know about all the identities I mean Mm. Donald is brought up in territories that are actually really ruled by the Norse rather than the Scots so is he all that Scottish Mm. or is he just different rougher (laughs) than (laughs) the others Um, it's doubtful there were that many English people to actually expel from court 
So it's not that there were like thousands of English people being swept yeah. south of the border. It's probably just prominent individuals that supported Margaret. Right. Who are obviously going to oppose Donald. Okay. So maybe actually it's not so much of a Gaelic reaction, it's just a court politics. Yeah, and the general population wouldn't be any the wiser, really. Yeah. So is Margaret, do we think that Margaret actually might be so super popular because she... Um, well, we don't know what if she was. She's super popular by for later generations yeah. because of all the religious stuff that she does and the dynasty that comes from her. Yeah. We don't know at the time, necessarily. That's what that was what I was getting at, that maybe it was just um, from, uh, yeah, later history has mm. decided that she was great knowing what comes later. Oh, okay, well, that changes things. <laughs> <laughs> what we really have is just pragmatic people at court. So rather than this all being about ideology and national identity, it's really just different people in power trying yeah. to play Game of Thrones. Okay, so we, but we don't have any solid stuff. They didn't make any schools or anything, or we don't have any any schools to uh, evidence of Donald. We don't have any churches. We don't have any um, YouGov polls to. Uh, <laughs> oh, Donald, you're not making life easy for yourself. And against him, although we don't really have anything very well documented, there must be some kind of wariness going on mm. in this period, and probably, in fact, the entire period is going to be quite tense. And he may, I don't know if he has an army, a standing army, or anything like that, but it certainly it's certainly is a not a great few years. And given that Malcolm III had been king for you know sort of three decades and it had been really, really stable, yeah. and Donald's just undone all of that and suddenly had these few years of chaos. Well, and Exactly. You know. It's straight back to that nonsense of brothers yeah. and, oh, dear, dear. I, I wouldn't like it. No. So my score isn't going to be high unless you pull a big one out of the bag here. Well, the prophecy of Birkin. Right. Possibly for the last time. This is one. That, this is our prophecy, which was written several hundred years after the events that it's prophesizing. <laughs> <laughs> after that, Domnall will take sovereignty. Alas, my heart, when I say it. In his time, the men of Alapa will go yonder to Ireland. Twenty-four kings, then, from the first king who will take Alpa to Domnallban, who distributes horses and leaves Alpa to Vikings. Well, what was all that about horses? I'm not sure where the horses come from. Um, I think essentially what they seem to be referring to is maybe the raids and expansion of the Norse king, um, a chap called Magnus Bearlegs. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Who, uh, so if they did a deal in... Harry ten- or strong? Um, oh, I, think, I think he's strong. Okay. Um, so if they do a deal in 1093 to help Malcolm become king, maybe the suggestion is that Malcolm just kind of gives him free reign to do what he wants in other places so that he's maybe just sort of giving away mm. the ancient kingdom essentially what it's saying is boo <laughs> okay uh yeah well i mean i i agree i think overall boo really mm. um i i'm quite happy to give him a zero no a point five for the fact that he must have had some support coming back in, but I'm quite swayed by your argument that actually it was probably court politics yeah. and people weren't any the wiser. Just in case it was, 0.5. I'll mark him down uh, for this one. I think I will go zero because he's he comes in for not very long, causes a bit of chaos, and then that's it. Yeah, There's no real positive legacy there whatsoever. Okay. 0.5, that seems reasonable. 0.5 for subjectivity. Longevity. Well, he has two reigns. Mm. So you have to count them up. So we've got November 1093 
to May 1094. It wasn't even a year. It wasn't even a year, so it's eight months. So that's 0.67 years. That's terrible. And we then have November 1094 to late 1097. So we'll make that a nice round three years. Yeah. So that's 3.67 years in total. Which, when uh, put into the patiometer and a score out of 20, gives him 1.27. Is that the lowest? No, no, it's not the lowest. Hashtag remember Ayers. And uh, Lullock. Oh, yeah. Of course. Mm. Dynasty, not the program. So he doesn't have any sons, but he does have one surviving child, uh, which is a daughter uh, called uh, Betok. Now, it's interesting that Betok was the name of Malcolm II's daughter, who was the mother of Duncan I. So Malcolm had kind of, to keep this primogeniture, had allowed the succession to go through his daughter because he didn't have any sons. Mm. So it's interesting that Donald, who is the son of this Duncan, himself has a daughter called Betok, the same name. So was he maybe thinking, ah, this will go into my line, and maybe he might have been planning I don't to doubt go through it, the daughter. Sneaky chappy. But then he thought with Edmund, oh, well, if I can just keep this guy on side for a certain amount mm. of time, maybe either marry him off to my daughter or just kill him. Yeah. Once all the other sons are done. Certainly and then kill his children. Then it stays within his line. Mm. As it is, um, they don't make a play for the throne, his successors. Or at least not until 1291, when... Um, wow. Uh, John Comyn of uh, Badenoch makes a claim for the throne. That's really very tenuous by then, isn't well, it? Well, but that's when we have Old the... Old Eddie. Um, ed- exactly, Edward I deciding which of the Scots so he just throws has a valid claim. So this guy's like, oh, I've... Oh. Yeah, if we're, if we're talking claims, I've got one, I mean, yeah. for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that is a score out of 20 uh, for Donald Serve Dynasty of 2, which gives him a total score... Of 12.27. That's really bad. That is the lowest. Oh, no, it's nowhere near the no, lowest. No, it's <laughs> It's quite low, but uh, it's not the lowest. How, I mean, I've got to go back and review those episodes where some got lower. Well, I mean, there were somewhere. I mean, come on, hashtag when Bariath. Mm, what was he going to get points good. for? Not good, yeah. Anyway, so Donald III doesn't have a high score, but does he have that certain something, that mark of greatness, that legacy and star quality that we call... Rex Factor. I'm going to put an argument for him. Mm. He wins the throne twice. Yeah. He's the only Scot, I believe, unless I've forgotten any, who will have this sort of two-reign thing. Yeah. You don't have that very often. And it's this last hurrah for Gaelic Scotland. Yeah. Or not. Not a hurrah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a noble effort. But I, I think that the two reigns also means two losses. Which he is also the only man to <laughs> Scotland to have lost his throne twice. I would say he's undoubtedly a record setter. Mm. But not a Rex winner. And he undoes all that good work of Malcolm III. Yeah, it's really bad. Just a mess. So you're saying... Uh, I'm saying a no. And I'll say no as well. That's a no for Donald III. He does not have the Rex factor. Looking at our list here, that is the... This is quite a horrible list. <laughs> For the the last person to die of natural causes was Constantine the second. Yep. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve or thirteen people ago. Yes. Wow. It's not uh not the safest job in the world being King of Scots. It's like being a Mexican mayor. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> Anyway, that's it for Donald III. He does not have the Rex Factor. If you disagree with us or you uh, 
have anything you feel you could add about Donald, uh, you can get in touch on our social media. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Rex Factor Pod. Like us on Facebook. You can see our page. We've got us both drinking a cup of tea. Uh, you can email us, rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. And you can go onto our website, um, rexfactor.wordpress.com, read the blogs, complete the polls about whether or not you think Donald, yeah. any of the other previous monarchs, uh, if they deserve the Rex Factor or not. And, uh, yeah, all of those various things. Yes. You can support the podcast. If you could leave a review for us on iTunes, that would be very, very lovely. Yeah, we love those. Even if you don't actually uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, maybe just leave a review anyway. <laughs> helps Even if you hate us, say you love us. Yeah, helps to boost our profile and more people see us. Now, you can make a one-off donation via PayPal. And thank you very much to Richard Tracy and Sandra Budd, who have done so since last we spoke. Legend! Or you can make a monthly pledge through crowdfunding. And join the Rex Factor Privy Council. I think we should have a, um, a uh, in the same way that we have Rex Factor, we should have Privy Councillor <laughs> or something. Well, uh, so Arise, our new Privy Council. Oh, and um, there are different levels um, that you can donate and rewards for doing so. So if you do $1 a month, you get a mention on the podcast. $2 a month, you get a comment read out. $5 a month, a mug, once we've sorted out our... Coming very, very soon. $10 a month, you get a special blog, subject yeah. of your choice. And for $15 a month, you get to commission us to do a podcast special episode on the subject of your choice. I mean, if it is history-based, that would definitely be better. Yeah, um, history-based rather than just... I'm not. I'm less good. I'm not claiming to be very good at the history, but nuclear physics... N- not a non-start. So, thank you to our, our new Privy Councillors, um, DS Morelli... Sandra Benkson, Paws of Steel, Matt Blank, or Matt, no, not Matt Blank, Matt Black, or Matt Black Point, uh, Malcolm Parks as a birthday present. Oh, lovely. Happy lucky, birthday, Malcolm. Lucky chap. Uh, Todd Myers, Sir Utility Maximizer. I mean, I was going to go back to Steel Paws or whoever. Paws of Steel. Paws of the thing is, we just get the username, so um, I don't automatically see what people's names are. That's brilliant, though, because it's like they are. Um uh, you know, like old bear legs earlier. It's yeah. brilliant. It works so well. Um, Billy Bob and Lucas Ewalt. Uh, um, there are some others, but because it's quite a big list, I thought we'd uh, space them out Aww. in some other episodes. Arise! Thank, exactly. Thank you all very, very much. We so, really do appreciate yeah, it. Incredibly generous of you. Thank you so much. Uh, now we've had some messages from some people. Okay. Um, oh, you're, look, you're looking very Because they're normally about telling me off about Edgar the Peaceable. <laughs> Um, well, the first one we got is from Andre uh, Andre Kumar, who emailed us about King John. Okay. No, I'm confident in our decision there. Hmm. I wonder if you're familiar with this little nugget about King John. He was in such dire straits because of everyone who opposed him that he was willing to convert Britain to Islam if the Emir of Morocco helped him wage war against France. What? What an outrageous plan. So, were you aware of this? Well, I certainly wasn't. I mean, have you... Check this. Yeah, so I had a little look, and um, so Muhammad al Nazir was the caliph of uh, Morocco from 1199, so that's about the same period that John was king. And John was excommunicated by the Pope for a while. Yeah. So, and England was under edict, so, you know, it was all, all pretty bad. So the suggestion is that John wrote to al Nazir for help, offered to convert to Islam and make England a Muslim state, but al Nazir was disgusted by this grovelling plea from this pathetic monarch and refused. So, what? So it was only that the other fella, Al Nazir, said, uh, 
said no, that he didn't take him up on it. Is, well, that, is this definitely true? The only account of this is from um, Matthew Paris. Yeah. This is a medieval chronicler, not the MP, um, which was written 20 years later, and it's a very negative account of John. There is a... Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask to be paid for these soon, but Hollywood executives, there's another story for you. Mm. A, uh, an alternate history. Yeah. <laughs> Who sent that in? Uh, that was uh, Andre Kumar. Well, thank you very much for getting in touch, Andre. That's mm. awesome. So I think probably um, in answer that I I think that was probably just some propaganda that was written about John to sully his name, mm. that he was going to go back on the Christian faith and whatnot. No, it's my but, uh, fire, Graham. But I certainly hadn't heard it before, so that's very mm. interesting. Um, next email is from uh, Kindle Owens about Henry V. Oh, yeah? Um, while I've certainly never let an unpleasant personality get in the way of my admiring someone, I've never really bought that Henry V could have been as unlikable as he seems to be from official records. You just don't get to be as well-loved as he did, by his own obscenely talented and able brothers, no less, if your main personality setting is puritanical prick. <laughs> the best explanation i found for this dichotomy, besides outright schizophrenia or a secret fun-hating twin, comes from Juliet Barker's book Agincourt. In short, there was Henry, and there was King Henry. Could it be that he was just that good at maintaining an impressive persona that that's the only version of him that survived in the written record? Um, your podcast on the rain was excellent and very even-handed, but it just convinced me further that there has to be something we're missing. Unfortunately, that something makes a difference between an approachable human being and a well-oiled kingly machine. Well, you know my thoughts. I'm, I'm mm. with the Henry Mark V yeah. school of thought. But that's very interesting. Mm. Yeah, because I'll have to go back and have another listen to the sort of pre-King Henry. Because mm. there was this suggestion, which is in Shakespeare, but it's in the sources as well, that he was a bit more fun-loving as a prince, and then when he becomes king, it's almost like there's this sort of veil that comes over him, and he's like, right, he gets rid of his drinking buddies, and it's like, right, I'm serious. Yeah, now. it definitely... I mean, I remember that, that it seems to be a, a marked difference. Like, when he was uh, when he was campaigning as a, as a younger chap, mm. it was all about the funnies. Yeah. But my golly, did whatever he did, it was effective. Yeah, it was efficient. Yeah. Another email from Mackenzie Walton, who um, said she was equally awaiting the Macbeth episode, not because of Shakespeare, but because of her childhood devotion to the Disney's 90s animated programme, Gargoyles. Not familiar with that. Well, I hadn't come across this before until seeing various references to it um, on um, websites and stuff. But a friend of mine was, uh, was aware of this. It's Basically, it was this show in Disney's did in the 90s, this cartoon which mixed Scottish medieval history with, like, monsters and stuff. <laughs> so all of these kings, like Kenneth McAlpin, like Macbeth, um, it's not available on um, DVD in this country. I imagine it probably is in America, but I think it's on, uh, it's on YouTube. Well, that is an eye-opener. Yeah, so all of these um, events in Scottish history, all of these kings, but mixed in with um, monsters. And, I'm uh, tempted to say... And stuff. Just watch that. Just watch all that. So Macbeth, um, she says, is voiced uh, by John Rhys-Davis. Who's that? Yeah, that you'll remember from um, Indiana Jones. I don't... As uh, Salah. Which one's he? Gimli in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, the short And dwarf. the English one in Sliders, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's her, her favourite role of his, even though she has a BA in archaeology, so it's sacrilege to favour any role <laughs> over Salah and Indiana Jones. Um, but yeah, so she always thinks of this, and indeed there is this whole, um, this whole world of medieval wow. Scottish kings in Disney. Well, I'll certainly, uh, what I'll do is I'll post that, a link to that um, video 
that Graham's just shown me. So, thank you for uh, bringing that to our attention. Yeah. That was great. Um, emails from some of our new Privy Councillors. Ah, lovely. Hayley March says, Thank you, guys. You've made my one-hour commute more bearable and made me seem more smart, politically astute, and enigmatic at parties. Uh, that was nothing to do with us. <laughs> I don't know where you got. You're very brave to offer a custom podcast without any caveats. Methinks you may get 30 requests for a Dunstan episode. I'm still waiting. Yeah, we are still waiting for that to come in. But thank you very much, Hayley. Yep. You're um, very involved with Facebook as well, so that's mm. appreciated. Um, M. Nelda. Again, username. Don't have the full name. Um, although a new and lowly member of the council, I venture to urge that Sir Ali research and present a special podcast on one of the fictional kings. Arthur may be an obvious choice, but there are so many others, even if he is not forced to do Tolkien. I really like the idea of researching a fictional king. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great fun. That's what get, get you doing King Aragorn. Yeah. Oh, is that a Lord of the Rings thing? Oh... I know how many of our ex-fans I'm alienating by saying that, but <laughs> I just can't bring myself. That's a wonderful idea. So, you know, mm. someone can suggest that. Yep. Sandra Benkson says, I'm a long-term uh, listener and mighty proud of my comment being mentioned in Victoria Part 1. Uh, who's this? Sandra, Sandra? Benkson. Okay. Um, I reference Rack Sandra in many conversations, much to the chagrin of friends and family. Keep <laughs> up the good work. Can't wait for the mug. Keep up the free plugging. Thank you very <laughs> much, Sandra, and you will get your mug. Uh, and Lucas Uot says, if you guys ever get around to doing a Rex Factor of the French monarchs, can you please subtitle it Je ne sais what? What does that mean? Well, I could have write it. It looks better written down, unfortunately. <laughs> Je ne sais Oh, what? As in King. As very in King. good. Love it. Um, very, very good. So, yeah, so thank you for all your comments. And as everybody, please do uh, email us in yeah. or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Lovely. And um, as we mentioned at the start, we recently did a special episode on the Battle of Waterloo. Oh, yes, we did. She had an awful lot of fun doing. Um, apologies to people who've maybe had a little bit of an issue in terms of accessing it. Yes, it was. It has teething problems, which we're sorting out. But if you do purchase it and you're not, you don't receive a link for it, then um, email us if we don't email you first, and we'll send you a link, which yeah. which will work. You will get to listen to it. We'll get to listen to it. Just a dollar to listen to this yeah. two-hour bumper edition. But if I, when we're doing it, I didn't feel any filler, and presumably you didn't as well when you were mm. editing it, but it was all... There was, it was oh, brilliant. I was in my notes going filler section, filler section. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there wasn't any um, nonsense that we ended up talking, because it was so... It was absorbing. I yeah, it. and it was so rather than our usual thing where we just do a reign and then we have to split it up, it was just chronological, so we yeah. did the backgroundy stuff and Napoleon, Wellington and Blucher of the Prussians. Blucher's a very fun character if you're not yeah. aware of him before. Um, and then, yeah, we just did the history, basically, up to sort of the campaign of Waterloo and the battle yeah. itself. It was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed so it. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, um, but but if you haven't listened to it, then you can, you can just about still access it on our uh, website. Click to buy now. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably make it easier to access in future. And we'll we will, and we're working with problems. Podbean. Um, but now, um, if I decide that I can work down some of our filler from this episode so that it's not <laughs> too long... Um, so now we'll have a, a little five-minute clip from that episode, and that's Ooh. what we're going to end on. Um, so this is Ali and I discussing Napoleon's escape from Elba. Oh, yeah. So this is just prior to uh, the Waterloo campaign. Okay. This is what sets it all off. Um, so as you said, if you're interested in buying the track, go onto the website, either on WordPress or to um, Podbean. Um, click to buy now. If you have any problems, email us. And, uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Yeah, and cheerio for me. Yeah, next time we'll be back with Duncan the Second. Uh Yes. Have we mentioned him yet? Uh, we mentioned his entire reign in the episode. <laughs> I was right with you, yeah. <laughs> Took us about two minutes yeah. to cover it. <laughs> okay. 
So, see you next time. Bye. So, Napoleon was exiled to the island of Elba. His first retreat. Mm, 12 miles off the Tuscan coast. Right. It's very nice, so quite near Italy. Um, but also not too far away from the south of France. 86 uh, square miles and a population of about 11,000. Weirdly, he's he's nominally sovereign of Elba, so it's like his mini little kingdom for him to run. I, if you, you can't see this, but I just sort of shook my head <laughs> in total confusion. It, first of all, it seems too close to home. Mm. And they, they haven't done anything then. They've just given him a little territory, so just yeah. play with that instead. Keep him busy. Oh, you can't contain that kind of brain. So he made some economic and social reforms, but he didn't get the money he was promised by France, strangely enough. <laughs> yeah, He uh, gave them the metric system. So yeah. Just ten, guys. You've got ten fingers. Just count to ten. It's easy. Devastated to hear about uh, Josephine's death while he was on the island. Which Apparently, one? Uh, the, the actual oh, Josephine. Right. Apparently he locked himself away for two days. Oh, that's And sad. then wrote a letter to her as if she was still Oh, alive, that's really sad. Expressing his feelings. Um, but in France, the Bourbons are restored. Louis XVIII is king, so they've got a monarchy again. But mm. they inherit huge debts from Napoleon. Mm. And the military um, isn't very good. They haven't purged them of all the Bonapartists. Increasingly unpopular government. And the European allies are kind of at odds with each other as well. They're not really all getting along very much anymore. So they have a big old meeting, this Congress of Vienna, where they're going to sort some stuff out. Mm. And they are perhaps a little bit distracted while they're at Vienna. So Napoleon decides this is a great chance to escape. Because everyone's in one place. Everyone's in one place. The guards around the island maybe aren't quite as strong. And also, again, suggesting they perhaps didn't think this exile through entirely, the Allies, they had given him a small army (laughs) of about a thousand men and a small navy. This is shocking. So he ordered the largest of his brigs, the Inconstant, to be uh, sent back to port and painted like an English ship. Yeah, and then when it was ready, got on the ship and escaped and uh, landed at Golf One in the uh, Côte d'Azur. So at no point during this exile um, in inverted commas in Elba was uh, was he under guard as such or in prison. Well, there was a, a commissioner, is uh, Campbell, this English chap who apparently didn't really quite have the necessary steel no, to deal with him. So there was this is great letters from Gen- uh, Genoa. Because they assumed that he might go to Italy if he did go into exile, because he'd still got contact there and it was closer. So this letter came to the Austrian ambassador saying, the English commissioner Campbell has just entered the harbour at Genoa, asking whether anyone has seen Napoleon (laughs) (laughs) in view of the fact that he had disappeared from the island of Elba. Could you imagine that conversation? Just, just, you're nice to see you. Yeah, you're right. You haven't seen old... Napoleon, have you? About this high? (laughs) (laughs) It's great because you can tell he's obviously thinking, this seems quite bad, but I don't want to make a fuss. Yeah. Um, So just... He's probably at home. I I, I don't want to cause alarm. Have you seen Napoleon? Not going to tell anyone, are you? No, no, good. So this plan, basically, they put him in exile, not very far away from the south of France, with an army, with a navy. Yeah. And you think, it's almost they think, we just... Can we do something to make this a bit more robust? What about a mild-mannered, comical Englishman? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I mean, it's almost like they presumed this was going to make an excellent film <laughs> and left the door open to the sequel. It could go very well, but there's the potential. In 200 years, Richard Curtis is going to make this <laughs> yeah. brilliant. They still weren't too worried, because he's only got you know a quite small army. So when he arrives at uh, Grenoble... 
uh, in March, um, a French regiment is sent to intercept him mm-hmm. by Louis XVIII. So he walks out alone, ahead of his small band, towards the army, gets into range of them, and then says, calls out to them, Here I am. Kill your emperor, if you wish. Yeah, surely they'd love him. Wouldn't the army love him They still? just cheer back, Vive l'Empereur! Vive yeah. l'Empereur! Yeah. They well, do what love him. a moment. Exactly. That's powerful. So then he turns them all onto his side. Yeah. Another one, Marshal Ney, is sent to catch him. The same thing happens. He's now marching on Paris with a growing army. Brilliant. Why isn't this a film? 